Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Major Tom. That is the nothing personal word of the day, as in this is ground control to Major Tom. I don't know if you saw the news, but it caught my eye. And how do you not start nothing personal on this? Tom Cruise, our favorite Scientologist, probably the best action star, one of the best actors, great movies from Risky Business all the way through Jerry Maguire, born on the 4th of July. I could keep going. I even like Vanilla Sky, Mission Impossible, of course, Edge of Tomorrow, Minority Report. I'm not going to go through his page. Those are off the top of my head. But he announced, or it was rumored, or it's been confirmed by NASA, that Tom Cruise wants to become the first ever actor to film a full feature-length movie on the International Space Station. Yeah, so he's supposed to be in Italy right now filming Mission Impossible. I think they're up to Mission Impossible. What is it, Coca? 12, 15, 22, or 7? Hike, something like that. But obviously, there is no production going on. So he's got plenty of idle time on his hands. And it turns out he wants to partner with Elon Musk. Yes, Elon Musk, also in the news today, not just for tanking Tesla stock. But he just had a baby. Congratulations. Mazel Tov, another kid who doesn't have a chance. Maybe some money, maybe a really cool car, maybe even a second home in space. But the name of his child is XAEA-12. Yes, that's the name. No one knows what it stands for. There's some rumors it stands for one of their favorite Aircrafts plus something about artificial intelligence and maybe a variable or two. Archangel is in there as well. People are calling the kid Ash Archangel. Sort of like when Prince changed his name to a sign, sign of the times, because he was in a fight with his record company and felt as though he had been stripped of all of his independence and ability to be free So he became unshackled and became a sign. Well, Elon Musk had a child. You know, I'm okay with some of the interesting Hollywood names you read. I'm not against Willow. I love Daryl Hannah playing Madison. Madison's not even a strange name. I know a ton of Maddie's, Madison's, incredible name. There are some names where you just say, all right, there's going to be an adjustment. But XAEA12. Congratulations, Elon. So Elon is going to partner with Tom Cruise. They're going to go to the International Space Station. Now, the International Space Station is this uh, literally thing. It's this little pod of communities that goes around and orbits the Earth. And it's a combination of Russia and U.S. 
there are cosmonauts and astronauts and you get catapulted up there. You live there for six months, you come back, they study what happens to your body, they do a bunch of scientific ex experiments, they figure out whether or not you need to wear a mask, maybe some gloves. In any case, I started thinking to myself, wouldn't it be the coolest thing if he not just filmed a movie at the International Space Station, but that it was directed by a guy I know? One of the great pleasures of my life is that I've gotten to meet a lot of interesting people who I otherwise wouldn't have had a chance to meet. One of them I was introduced to through Conine, actually, who met him. Uh, I don't remember how. His name is Terry Verts. Terry Verts, if he's not a household name to you, he should be. Terry Verts is an actual astronaut, like the real deal. Terry Verts piloted an actual space shuttle endeavor. Terry Verts went to the International Space Station and lived there for 200 days. Actually lived there. So Terry Verts, when I first met him, we got to know each other, and uh, I just thought it was amazing. He's, he is uh, just an amazingly smart, brilliant mathematician. What he would do, you have to get flying hours in when you're the captain pilot of a space shuttle. I don't know if I can say this, but I don't think he's any longer in the military, so I think I can. I'm not giving away the codes, but what I will say is he had to get hours piloting these supersonic planes. So he would be based in Texas, and he would call Conine and me and say, hey, let's have lunch. And we'd say, oh, when do you get to town? And he'd say, well, I don't know. And, I, and we'd say, well, all right, you know, we have a game tonight, but we can have lunch like at Garcia's. And we'll, we can be there for one o'clock. He said, all right, I'll take off at 10. So he would go into his bomber plane in his pilot suit, take off, get practice hours in like this crazy high speed supersonic jet, land at Miami airport, get in a cab, have lunch, and then go back. And people on the base just thought, like he was in the bathroom. That was, they didn't, you know, hey, I'm going to lunch. I'll be right back. Now you think that's crazy. Do you get to just take planes? I don't know that he stole the planes because he always brought them back and you have to get practice hours. So they let you fly in circles. So he would fly to Miami, did that many times. Huge baseball fan, would come to games. We'd bring him in the clubhouse. He'd meet the players. And we tried to explain to players, you are meeting a real astronaut. And then it was announced that he was going on the, shuttle endeavor. And that requires years of training. And if you all saw Apollo 13, it takes a ton of preparation. And sometimes you don't know if your mission is going to happen. So he volunteered as a huge baseball fan that he would fly something into space for us and then give it back to the team and give something back to me and to Conine. And it would be something that was flown in space. So a uniform or a ball or some sort of trinket. And we did that. And it actually happened. We wanted him during one of his um, broadcast back to Earth during the space shuttle uh, Endeavor mission, we wanted him to actually wear a Marlins uniform. It turns out that what they fly into space, they bag up and put in lockers and you can't really access it, but it is in space. So during the course of uh, preparing for the shuttle, 
once you know someone like that, why not ask questions and a lot of questions? Because I was so fascinated with how it works. What's the preparation? What's zero gravity like? By the way, any chance that we can go to the mission and and watch the uh, launch of the space shuttle? And I just threw that in thinking, well, no, it's probably close to the public or you have to stand, you know, 50 miles away with the rest of everybody, which did not interest me. If I'm going to go, I want to be right there in the mix. What good is a connection if you're not going to use it? So we said, hey, Terry, any chance that you have any VIP passes? Because we're super interested in watching the launch of the space shuttle Endeavor. And he said, we just figured he'd laugh, right? I mean, everyone who he knows would have wanted that. But he said, yeah, for sure. Come on to Canaveral and you can watch the launch from up close. So we got in a car, the whole Conine family, the Samson family, and the Beinfest family, who was the GM at the time. We drove up to Canaveral. We stayed in some hotel that had bunk beds, like eight to a room. And he let us come. We went actually into Cape Canaveral. And we got to meet the head of the mission. I'm talking about like guys like who helped on Apollo 13, the movie. We saw the control room. And I'm not talking the regular tour. This is like when you get to go into the West Wing, into the Oval Office on the White House tour, and everything, including meet the president. I mean, this is not your ordinary buy tickets on Google tour. So there's a bunch of kids and the six of us, and we're there's like 15, 14 of us or however many there are. And the shuttle is launching in the middle of the night. So... We take naps and we have to get up. You have to be there three hours before because they close it off. You go through security. You sit there. You're so close that you're going to hear and feel it like it's it's supposed to be this amazing thing, Terry said. So we're able to say a goodbye and it's, and it's in a way that you can't see him or you can't touch him because he doesn't want to get sick. This is way before coronavirus. By the way, you want to talk about real social distancing when you're going up into a sh- space shuttle you do some serious social distancing. No sickness up there at all. So we get there and all of a sudden it's the middle of the night and they stop the countdown clock because there's some sort of issue. They stop it like with 20 minutes to go. And everyone, we're watching, we're waiting. We don't know what's going to happen. And we're all used to, if there's a delay to our game, we're sort of in charge of when it's going to start. We know the weather report. If rain's coming in, we're speaking to the umpires. So we're pretty much control freaks. But in this case, we're guests of NASA. We're in control of nothing. We're there with the families of the crew. And we're just wondering when this is going to launch because they're, they're seatbelted in, ready to roll, and boom, it's scrapped. So we had to then leave because they were going to try again tomorrow, but no guarantee. So Conine has to go back all the way to Miami the next day because the Super Bowl was the next day, and he had an appearance at the Super Bowl in Miami. So that would tell you what year it was, but it wasn't this past year. So obviously, whenever it was, whenever the last Super Bowl was, I don't. it may have been the Prince Super Bowl. So Conine goes back to Miami, goes to the Super Bowl, drives back after the Super Bowl. We go back into position, back into Nassau, into the Cape, and we see the launch that night. And it did go off that night. And it was simply the coolest thing you've ever seen up close, the noise, the sound of it. 
is, is awe-inspiring. The plume, and that's a very fancy word. I have no idea what it means. But the plume of smoke that you see, it's all real. When you see it not on TV, it's fantastic. So Terry Verts, he goes, he comes back. We invite him to the ballpark. He, interdu- he talks to us. He talks to, other, he talks to the players again about the experience, what it was like to pilot the space shuttle Endeavor, and then find out that he is a candidate to move to the space station for six months. And we were like, are you sure you want to do that? I mean, do you know how that will work with your body? How's that going to work with your family? How's that going to work with your friends? What happens sort of on the sex side? Like, how's that going to work? And uh, so we go through, he tells us a bunch of stories about what he thinks it's going to be like. He, he gets assigned that he's going to the space station. And as he was preparing, I remember the last conversation we had with him. Uh, we wished him good luck, and we told him that anything he needed, let us know. We sort of said jokingly. We said, we'll be in touch. And he said, and I remember this as though it were yesterday. He said to us, hey, guys, we'll be in touch. Kona and I sort of looked at each other and didn't think much of it and went along our lives and went to games and did what we do every day at 7.05 and 7.10 and 1.05 and 1.10 and the games go on. All of a sudden, one day, I get a uh, phone call. And the thing when you're in baseball is that you can treat your phone two ways. You can treat it as though that you don't get your calls all the time and you're not with it. Or you can become a phone addict, which I became an addiction that I've not been able to shake since I left baseball. I don't understand how you text people and they don't respond within 30 seconds. I, don't, I just don't get it. You see the text, just say, K, got it, back to you later. Can't talk now. I just don't understand when people are not responsive. Now, if you're out running, you're in the shower, you're otherwise indisposed, you're on a plane, whatever the case may be, but eventually return the text or return a call. So my rule of thumb is that I don't answer any calls from any numbers that are not programmed into my phone. So if it comes out as, an, as a regular seven digit, a 10 digit number, I'm very likely not going to answer. If it's a block call, an unknown call, I'm just not going to answer. Leave a message. I may call back. So a call comes in and it comes from a blocked number. Now, back in baseball, I would answer most blocked calls when I wasn't with our owner. Our owner would call from a blocked number. So I would always know that likely it's going to be him because there's something going on with the team, something going on in the sport, something going on with business that we're going to have to talk. So during the course of the years when there's baseball stuff going on, which is all the time, when it comes blocked, not unknown, but blocked, I'm going to answer. So it's a blocked call. It says blocked. And I answer. And uh Sometimes I'd say, hey, Jeffrey, or sometimes, hey, what's going on? Or sometimes just hello. In this case, I was just, I just said hello. And I heard sort of a crackling. And it was, hello? And hello? Hello? David? And I said, I'm sorry, who's this? It's Terry. I know exactly where I was. I was outside the clubhouse area in the, in the, um, in the hallway outside the clubhouse. It's the tunnel. It was Terry Verts calling me from the International Space Station. So it took me about four seconds to get my bearings. 
And I, I didn't know what to do. And I've had plenty of hours on the phone. So I was like a bumbling idiot. And you know how in life you want to get like a phone call back or a moment back when you say something ridiculous or you sound like a total, total blithering idiot? So I said to him, I said the first thing I could think of out of my mouth, where are you? And Terry said, I'm in space. And that part of the conversation just... It's one of those things that you just, you never forget that exchange because what a dumb question. I knew he was on the space station, but I thought that maybe he had been dropped back to earth or that something bad had happened or that he'd been sent home. He had gotten in trouble. Maybe he hit on the Russian cosmonauts and he got sort of in trouble for doing that. Maybe there was some sort of intergravitational pull between the countries and there was like a nuclear war brewing. I figured there's no logical answer that he's calling. Maybe he needs a lawyer, maybe something. He was calling because he's allowed a certain number of calls at a certain time. And he just said, hey, I said we'd be in touch. I'm just calling to say hi. (laughs) Well, Terry, how's it going? What's it like up there? I asked him 20 questions in a row, not waiting for answers. And all he's responded was, I'm safe, I'm good. It's interesting. And I said, are you sleeping? I don't know why I'd ask that. Who cares if you're sleeping? Is that the first question you'd ask an astronaut? I wanted to say, are you having sex up there? Like, what, what's going on? How does that work? In any case, it was simply the most unbelievable thing. He talked to me about how often he circles the earth and all the sunrises and sunsets. He told me that he can see hurricanes as they're brewing. You know, Coca, thank God for Coca, in huge letters on the document in my ear. Did you ask him about aliens? No, I did not ask him about aliens. It didn't even occur to me to ask him about UFOs or aliens. I wanted more practical things, like how's the food? Like, what are you doing? And so at the end of the day, he uh, had a full schedule, and he said it was the most amazing experience. He comes back. And we ended up seeing each other afterward. And we talked about that call. And he told me that while I thought I was sort of flustered, that everyone he called, you know, friends and family, I said, hey, we must be like best friends that you called from the International Space Station. And he said, well, best friends? Not best friends, but you're on the, you were on the list. That's the greatest list ever. And so he talked and told us stories about what it was like to be in space that day. And we invited him to do a teardown in our old ballpark. When we did a countdown to the new ballpark, we invited him to tear down 130, which meant 130 games to the opening of the new ballpark because his space shuttle mission was STS-130. So now cut to last night. The show's being put together. I'm working on today's show. And today is episode 130. I wasn't thinking about Terry last night. I was looking through what was going on and we were putting together a show. And I came up with Major Tom, came up with the fact that I wanted to talk about this movie he wants to film in space and the International Space Station. And it made me then think of, Wow, I'm going to put this in the show. I'm going to tell a funny story about Terry and the time he called me from space because that's in my mind. 
And then I said to myself, this can't be. The universe is the craziest thing. When, when things like this happen, you have to think it's a bit of beshert, a bit of destiny, that today is episode 130. He was the pilot for space shuttle STS-130. And the news of the Tom Cruise movie came out yesterday for show 130. It's amazing how things work. Terry, thanks for that call. I'll never forget it. And congratulations and thank you. And thanks for always flying to have lunch with us. By the way, now that you're out of the military, do you still have access to those types of planes? Anyway. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So you want to talk to Samson. Yeah, Terry did. So people who want to talk to Samson go on on, uh, Instacart. I was just about to say they go on Instacart. How's that for a during pandemic mental sort of synapse issue? So you want to talk to Samson, go on my Instacart account, David P. Samson, go in and do the DMs. Got a question. It was... Would it be more practical and financially feasible to cancel 2020 sports and plan for 2021? Interesting question. I wanted to take that when I saw it because that is a very big business question that is being discussed at all levels of all sports leagues right now. I assume you were asking that question because you were trying to get my view of the business and where the inflection point is. And I assume that you were asking what my point of view would be when I would vote to actually cancel a season versus continuing a season where the guarantee was such a loss of revenue that there would be no chance to finance that loss of revenue from a cash flow standpoint. So let's talk practical. Let's talk financial feasibility. If baseball were to miss the 2020 season as an example, you'd miss out on a full year of revenues. You would also have the eight to 10 teams losing money on an operational basis, not losing that money. You'd have to count the loss of asset evaluation, but that is not a current day loss. That is sort of a long-term loss and those assets will again start to appreciate. So I would say for owners who are not in complete financial distress, which is the majority of owners, That loss of asset value of your team is something that I don't count when I do the math as to whether or not it is feasible to actually not have a season at all in 2020. I then go to what my borrowing capacity is. And do I have enough ability to borrow money that I can basically get through paying my contracted employees who I don't want to furlough, keeping the business rolling, and getting ready for 2021? knowing that my entire player cost is only my share of the 170 total million that was paid to all players because without a season, the agreement with the players says they'll get 170 million. So let's just say it's even and that's about five or six, call it six million a team. So I have a $6 million payment to players and then I've got 
pay, pay, uh, payment to my GM and to my other staff. I'm going to need to bring back my sales staff and marketing staff, social media staff, finance staff, operation staff will have to come back during the off season, but in a very sort of cursory way. I do all the math and I come out with the reality that if I'm a team like the Miami Marlins, it's actually more financially feasible not to have to pay Wei in Chen his $22 million not to play, not to start a season actually. Because unless I get a negotiated rate with players where I have to pay them less, if I'm not getting the amount of revenue sharing that I would normally get because the big market teams are not getting their revenue, it's not worth it for me to play. And the long-term impact of missing this year of sports to me is de minimis as it relates to what would happen if as a sport we came back either too early and then had to stop again or we came back in a way that was viewed as self-serving to our sponsors and fans. So I would weigh all those and I'd put a value to them. What is the actual financial value of starting and stopping? What's the cost of starting the season? Then what's the cost of stopping knowing that once it starts and stops, it would not start again? What is the realistic nature of where my corporate sponsorship revenue is going to go if we take a year off? What's going to happen with my new TV deal or the existing broadcast deal? It really is a pretty simple math equation once you go through all the variables. What we can't count on, though, is you, the fan base. What would your position be for getting all the polls that we've talked about on Nothing Personal, for getting where you say that you'd wait for a vaccine before you come to games or you'd be inclined or not inclined or less inclined, somewhat less inclined, somewhat more inclined to go to a game with a mask, with social distancing? How would that exactly work? And there's really no way that you can tell me what you're going to do because it hasn't happened yet. If you had a baseball game tomorrow at Marlins Park or at Yankee Stadium or at Chavez Ravine in L.A. and you are a season ticket holder, are you sure you're going to the game tomorrow or the first time that a fan can go? I know you're going to watch games when they're on live, but are you sure you're going to watch as many as you normally would? Do you have the same vested interest, even though right now you say you want live sports? Do you have the same vested interest in the season that will take on a different tone, will have a different format? All of those things will have to be measured, put into the hopper as all sports decide what is the impact of actually canceling the entire season. For individual sports, it's far different. Rafael Nadal yesterday said that he thinks tennis should be canceled for all of 2020. The impact to tennis is tournament by tournament. So each Grand Slam, Wimbledon lost its Grand Slam, they collect on insurance, they're scheduled now and ready to go in 2021. Australian Open, they had their January Grand Slam, which, by the way, seems like 10 years ago. They are now preparing for 20, 2021, though it's possible the first quarter of 21 will still be a problem for the tournaments without allowing international fans or international players. You can measure financial risk, but the affinity of people to go to a tennis tournament does not change because it misses a year. The affinity of going to the Masters, of going to a golf tournament, of going to a playoff game. Those things don't change. But the regular season sort of consumer habits, they may change. And if someone tells you they know exactly how they're going to change, they're not being too forthcoming. So anytime that I tell you that I've done a financial model and I think about what it would be both practically and financially, it's guessing as to your behavior, not mine, 
I know what our behavior would be as a league and how we would handle it and how we would cut our expenses. So I find that to be an interesting question. And my opinion is, I don't know that it's more or less practical or more or less financially feasible in the macro sense for all sports to be canceled. I know on a sport by sport basis, you can make that decision. But if you're asking me all in, I'm actually not able to tell you that. Well, I don't think we have to worry about it, though, because we found out for sure that baseball is starting on July 1st. We saw it. It was tweeted out. That's not the word. What's the past tense of to tweet? It was tweeted. I think that may be a coca. It was tweeted out. He's telling me tweeted. Okay, it was tweeted out. Baseball is coming back July 1st, training camp June 2nd. We have it confirmed. There was a guy on Twitter who did it. He's a writer. I want to say his name is Trevor, but I could be wrong. He came out and said that he is going to uh, uh, find out. His name is Trevor Pluff. Pluff, former player. Trevor Pluff said baseball's back. It's Ploof. Thank you, Coca. Trevor Ploof. So I knew that wasn't the case, that there's no, there's no timetable. I know that there's been no conversation with the union. I know there's been no conversation between the owners. So how would a rumor like this start? Well, we know for nothing personal, leaks go on all the time. We know that leaks are purposeful. Either the union could be leaking it, the league could be leaking it, there could be owners leaking it because they have a payment coming in from a sponsor or from a TV partner, and the payment is dependent on the possibility of games in July, so they're trying to wish it into existence. We know this. But what we found out, and what we rarely find out in the outside world, is we find out, found out where that leak came from. Apparently, the Cleveland Indians held a Zoom meeting or a conference call with about 70 of their front office employees and players where the front office said that we are hopeful and preparing for a July 1st start. And someone on the call took that to mean that it's a definite we're playing on July 1st. And it got me to thinking about all the times I did major calls and big calls that were supposed to be confidential with a ton of people, including players. First of all, when you have a call with your team right now, and we've read about all of these hotshot GMs and team owners and presidents and managers, we're all staying in touch with our guys. We read yesterday, the Milwaukee Bucks have a group chat, but the Lopez brothers can't participate because they have Androids. They don't have iPhones. So I guess they're doing can't do FaceTime, but they do something. So the Bucks are, are being very tight-knit and getting ready to win their first championship since the Kareem days. They're ready to go. The Miami Heat are doing video workouts every day, and Jimmy Butler is sending baskets to players to practice, and baseball players are taking their swings and getting ready. Everything's exciting. Great. What we know is that when you're talking to a bunch of people, and you actually don't know something, you cannot intimate that you have a feeling that something is true because people who look to you as a leader, and we've talked about followers and leaders here on Nothing Personal, followers, when they hear a leader say something and sort of give a caveat or couch it, often followers don't hear that. They hear what they want to hear. Furloughed employees here July 1st, we're back. Players say, oh my God, we're back. We're going to get paid starting July 1st. They don't hear what was said, which is, 
What we'd like is to be back July 1st. We should plan to be back July 1st. Make sure you are mentally and physically ready to be back July 1st. Make sure that the front office, from a sales standpoint, that we are operating on all cylinders, that you are doing your work physically if you're a player, and that we are ready to host baseball July 1st in the great city by Lake Cleveland. But that's not what people hear. So when you're making these calls, you can't say it that way. You have to say very clearly two things at two different times of a conversation. It's a well-known fact when you're talking to people, they're going to listen to the beginning and they're going to listen to the end and maybe a little bit in the middle. But you come out hard at first, you come out hard at the end, and then give them stuff in the middle. So when you're meeting with someone and you're telling them what the plan is, you say the following. We do not know exactly when baseball is going to start. Any plan out there is rumored because we have not had any official word from anybody. That said, I would like us all to be prepared to start in July. Let's take the time to be physically and mentally ready. We're going to send you a bunch of weights, a bunch of programs. We're going to have calls. We're going to do all sorts of fun things from four to six o'clock every day. Yada, 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 yada. And in closing, are there any questions? Never do your close until the questions are done. Okay, no questions. In closing, I would like to reiterate that anyone who says they know for sure when baseball is coming back does not know what he or she is talking about. There is no firm date. While we are hopeful it will be July 1st, we will be in touch as more information flows in. This is a very fluid situation. Thank you. Leave meeting. Click. End meeting. Click. Player picks up the phone, calls Trevor, says, hey, we're starting July 1st. It becomes a rumor. It goes wild in the internet and everyone loses their mind. Baseball's coming back. I look like a Debbie Downer saying, no, baseball's not. I turn out to be right. Should have made it a wait to see, which I think I will. I think I did, and I think I will again today. But when you are speaking to a group of people, you have to make sure you don't promulgate falsehoods because they're going to run with it. And they did. Told you I watched Ozark. I did. I had to review Cats yesterday. I don't know why. I just had to. And obviously, Last Dance was Monday. Today is Wednesday. I know when Wednesday is because it's Survivor. There's only two episodes. Guess what will be reviewed a week from Thursday, which is a week from tomorrow. The finale of Survivor is May 13th. I was all set to go to the finale. I was invited by Sarah Lucina, who was on Survivor 28 when I was on. And we have stayed very close since. And I have no idea how she does, though she's still in it. But I was invited to go to the finale, May 13th in LA. It would have been very exciting. I had not been to one since the finale of season 28. And we were going to have fun and party. And then not. It's a virtual finale. I lost my invite. I'm not zooming in. Probst doesn't miss me, doesn't want me to be a part of it. Sarah will be a part of it as all cast members are for season 40. That will be reviewed. Anyway, I know when Wednesday is because it's Survivor. It's a double episode tonight. If you're listening to this not on Wednesday, then just forget it. 
So I watched Ozark. Ozark was introduced to me because Jason Bateman, as you all know, from Bad Words and from uh, what a blank. I want to say Silver Spoons, but that was Ricky Schroeder. Was, was, was Jason Bateman a child actor in Silver Spoons? It can't be. He was a child actor who's made it to be an adult actor. He is phenomenal in everything. He was in the movie with uh, Christian Bell. He was in Game Night. He was also in the movie where they're playing. Uh, um, they go to that island with uh, Couples Retreat. He's just been in tremendous movies, hysterical. Bad Words, of course, is the number one. When he was in Ozark, he was in Silver Spoons. Thank you, Coca. That is hard to imagine that that was in my head. That really is strange that I would know that. I cannot admit that I knew his character's name was Derek Taylor. That's Coca getting it from the Google because there's no way Coca's heard of Silver Spoons ever in a million years. I think it's got to be from the 1980s, and I'm almost positive he wasn't even alive. I actually don't even know what year he was born. Let's say he was born in 1990, which means he wasn't alive in the 80s. So all of the great take on me, take on me. So I dance all days. He doesn't know any of that. It's 80s music. Did you read yesterday, Coca? I, I, by the way, I sent this to everyone I know, totally off the subject. Kurt Loder turned 75 yesterday. If you don't know who Kurt Loder is, I don't know what to say. Kurt Loder was the face of MTV. When MTV started, I don't think you realize how significant uh, uh, that is. And um, I can't even tell you what Coca just told, said to me in my ear because it's too upsetting. So I'm not even going to say it on the air. Coca, I'm going to. If you put something in the document, I'm going to say it. Coca's mom turned 60 on Sunday, May 10th. Coca's mom turned 60? You have a very young mommy. So in any case, so we're talking about Kurt Loder. He was the face of MTV. Someone puts on Twitter, if you don't realize that Kurt Loder is 75, or does this make you feel old? To me, Kurt Loder is this young, cool guy on MTV. When it first started and you got to saw videos, MTV actually used to be music videos. It was music television. It wasn't reality television. It wasn't unscripted television. It was actually music television. And there were videos, and the first video ever on MTV, how could anyone forget? If you don't know this, you should. It's by the Buggles. It's called Video Killed the Radio Star. Video Killed the Radio Star. Get it? I mean, that's a real song that was about video killing the radio star because MTV, they were hoping to take over the world. And sort of the, the logo of MTV or the big sort of gif if you will, was a flag being planted by, by I was going to say Louis Armstrong, because I'm thinking music, by Neil Armstrong on the moon. In any case, Kurt Loder turned 75 yesterday. No relevance at all to Ozark. So anything with Jason Bateman, I'm going to watch. It's a series that's in its third season. The third season dropped. Everyone started watching it. I waited because I was so excited to binge it. I watched all 10 episodes, which is about 10 hours in one day. Jason Bateman won an Emmy for directing the opening of season two, the first episode. He will be nominated again for season three. Laura Linney stars in it and actually has a similar sibling situation to her sibling situation in Love Actually. For those Love Actually fans, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're not a Love Actually fan, then see the movie. So Laura Linney plays Jason Bateman's wife. 
and they are forced into the world of money laundering. If you've never seen the series start at season one, you will be H-O-O-K-E-D in a way that Dustin Hoffman and Robin Williams were as well. It's simply perfectly written, perfectly acted. The character actress who plays Ruthie won an Emmy as well last season. She plays uh, Ruth Langmore, who is sort of a uh, both, I would say. She's the good girl and the bad girl. And the season has plenty of ups and downs in terms of who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. It's about characters. It's about what a man does to save his family when his family is in trouble, not with the law, but with the drugs and the cartels. And it's what you have to do in order to try to stay alive. And Jason Bateman doesn't make perfect decisions. He does a lot of things that he probably would say that he shouldn't do as a father, as a husband, as a business owner. But the series weaves in and out of decisions that are made, the implications of those decisions. And what fascinates me is there are very few series that examine what we talk about on Nothing Personal all the time, which are the ripple effects of these decisions that we all make. And Ozark does it perfectly. And if you don't watch season three all the way to the end, you will not be getting the bang for your buck. Day 52 of the ML Beer Challenge. I'm going a little off today. Day 52. You know the Beer Challenge. Coke and I are growing our beards until baseball starts. When I read July 1st yesterday, I said, great, I'm ready to shave. Even though I knew it wasn't true, but I wanted it to be true. I wanted to be a follower. We're going to grow it. For 100 days, we're giving away $1,000 a day. Today is day 52. What I've been doing is I've been doing every major league team once. That was 30 days. Then I started with the 30 30 NBA teams. But it turns out that I took a break when I did NFL.com backslash relief the day of the draft. I'm taking another break today. There is a writer in Boston. His name is Chris Cotillo. I guess I've only always called him Chris. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I'm going to say Chris Cotillo. If I'm wrong, Chris, I apologize. Chris has been finding a way during this pandemic to actually make a difference. Every day on Twitter, follow him on Twitter at Chris Cotillo, C-H-R-I-S-C-O-T-I-L-L-O. He has been auctioning off for charity different cards or different pieces of memorabilia from what I assume is his either personal collection, stolen collection, friend's collection, whatever the case may be. So I see him on Twitter, I'm following him, and he's got some interesting cards, some interesting things, but nothing really has caught my fancy. Last night, I am on Twitter because, as you know, I'm addicted to my phone, so I'm looking at Twitter, I'm trying to see what's going on, getting ready for show 130, starting to have a kernel of a thought about the International Space Station. Lo and behold, Chris is auctioning off two baseball cards, one with Corbin Burnson and one with Tom Berenger. Now, that wouldn't be that amazing, except it's their baseball cards from their characters from Major League. Jake Taylor, and I think that's Tom Berenger, and Burnson from L.A. Law, you may remember. Corbin Burnson played, I want to say, Dorn, Bill Dorn, somebody Dorn, Roger Dorn. It was Roger Dorn. That's the movie Major League with Charlie Sheen. I actually had referenced Serrano in yesterday's show. When I was talking about bats, Serrano is a character. That's the Geico commercial guy. That's Serrano, Dennis Haysbert. So Major League was in my mind. The universe is this crazy place with 130 and Terry Verts. 
and it happened again with Major League, all of a sudden the cards are being auctioned off and I said, I got to get these cards. So I was ready to bid $50 or $60 and boom, the epiphany came because he was raising money yesterday for the Greater Boston Food Bank. And while I've done Boston, remember we did Dave McGilvery from the Boston Marathon. We did the Boston Red Sox, the foundation. I'm going back to Boston for a third time in 52 days. Boston. I'm donating $1,000 to the Greater Boston Food Bank. So I'm not doing an NBA team or an NBA foundation. The reason I'm doing the Greater Boston Food Bank is I want to support Chris and what he's doing. But I'm not a perfect guy by any stretch. Because if I were completely pious, I would have made the donation, announced it as such, and that would have been that. But I actually DM'd Chris because we have a DM relationship. That's like there is friendship, then there's acquaintances, right? Then there's sort of DMs. So it's not that I don't like Chris or Chris doesn't like me, but I'm not going to insult either one of us and say we're friends. We have a DM relationship enough that I was definitely going to do this for him because what a great cause, how amazing it is that he's doing it. I DM'd Chris. I said, hey, I would love those major league cards. How does a grand sound? <laughs> Which is so bad, right? People are bidding 50 and $60. Of course, he's going to say yes, and I'm going to get the cards. If I were a better person, I would have said, I'm giving a grand keep the cards and sell them to someone else for 50 or 60 or 100 or 200 bucks. But I want the damn cards. I want to display Roger Dorn and Jake Taylor. I want to look at them. So I said, for a 1000 any chance I can have the cards? He said, the bidding has closed. Sort of like the buy it now. And he then announced it on Twitter that the bidding was closed at Chris Cotillo. Cotillo. By the way, that's the definition of a DM relationship, isn't it? I just don't know. In any case, I'm getting the cards. The Greater Boston Food Bank is getting the $1,000. And what makes me smile is how many people are doing very, very good things during this pandemic. Thanks for your creativity, Chris. You had me at hello. Wait to see. I didn't do one yesterday. I don't know why. We were in the middle of a segment on something and I just didn't feel like a wait to see, but I had a great one. I'm doing it today. I am giving myself credit right now, even though it's premature. This is premature celebration. It's nothing to celebrate, but I called the fact there'd be no baseball before Memorial Day. <clears throat> I called it very early, as you recall. <clears throat> I'm going to take credit for that one because at the time, everyone thought I was completely loopy, but I could see what was coming, and I'm no Nostradamus. So wait to see that there'd be no baseball by Memorial Day, we waited, and we have to wait a bit more, but trust me, we're going to see. I'm going to go month to month now. My next wait to see, I'm sorry to tell you folks, there will not be baseball in the month of June. There will be no regular season. This beard will continue through at least the end of June, but there will be a time when baseball will be back. I promise, because remember the calculation we talked about at the end of the day, it's just business. It's nothing personal.